Welcome to Nothing Is Nothing, a podcast hosted by Ephraim Nehemiah. They are banning trans women from chess. Like the chess you're thinking of, the, the super checkers, knight to c6, queen's gambit, that's the chess, right, that we're talking about. There was an article released by Associated Press, really huge news outlet, right? They cover all the things, sports, politics, celebrity things, they, they cover it all, right? They released an article about a month ago. The headline for the article was World Chess Federation Bars Transgender Women from Competing in Chess Tournaments. So the World Chess Federation is the governing body for all the major chess tournaments. It started in 1924. There was world chess tournaments before that, even as early as, as 1886, even before then, but it was kind of disjointed, right? And so some different people wanted to get together and figure out how can we make one standard set of rules, regulations, and understandings for how we're playing this game so that way different people can compete across the world and add some legitimacy to the different titles that already existed. This is also around the time when these people wanted to get together and decide on creating a separate women's only competition. So in 1927, they created the first women's world championship for chess. Uh, the first winner of this competition was Vera Menchik. She won for like 17 years straight after this competition was started. She often participated in the open tournaments and then dominated the women's tournaments as well. So we have this game that doesn't involve like running with speed. It doesn't involve hype. It doesn't involve being the strongest. None of these things matter within chess. And these things that we usually hear are the reason why we have to divide the sports up, right? To, to make sure that it's fair. None of those things exist here and we still have women's only chess. And it makes you wonder like, is it always really just about creating this fair level of play? Or is there something more to why they feel like they needed to divide this sport up, right? When it does come to chess, right? When we look at historically, most of the number one champions, when we look at most of the top 100 ranked players, men have dominated chess, right? And amongst those men, Russia has dominated. Russia, when it comes to chess, is is like the the Chicago Bulls, is the New York Yankees, is the Uchiha clan, is is Daenerys with all three dragons. Like this is Russia when it comes to chess. And when I was first finding this out, I'm like, like many other people, I feel like, what's going on over there? Why is it that Russians dominate chess? Is it is it something they're born with? Is this innate ability? Is it in the water, what is going on in Russia that Russians are so much better at this sport? A lot of it has to deal with that Russians pour a lot more into their chess programs. When chess was continuing to gain popularity across the world, the prize were getting bigger, more people were participating. Russia had like state sanctioned programs for their chess players. It wasn't just some individual who had some passion and was figuring it out by themselves. No, like you had the government actually being involved, actually helping you study, helping you learn moves, having y'all play each other, trying to figure out how they could set it up so that the Russian players would be the most successful at this tournaments. They were paying for their trips, having them have stipends. Like they were making sure, nah, Russia gonna dominate. And it was mad intentional from the country on, on every single level within the school systems, within the government. And it wasn't just all positive. 
it was negative consequences if you didn't show up it was feeling like life or death for some of these players because if they ain't play right it was going to be real bad for them right so you have all these positive and negative incentives for the russian players that led to russia showing out the most russia was so good at chess on three different occasions they hosted a tournament called russia versus the world they said we gonna take our country the rest of y'all can get together put together your best players and let's see what's up it's not so much because of this innate ability it's not biological it's not something that they're born with it is about the investment that has taken place over there and the way the country treated their players who were playing chess and so when we look at the gap between russia and the rest of the world with chess i think there's a lot of parallels between the gap that exists between the male players who are playing chess and the women who are playing chess and we look at that difference between their ratings their success and what has happened historically within chess tournaments so just to give you an idea of the gap that still currently exists when it comes to chess the number one ranked woman in chess right now is how you find she is ranked 123rd out of all players in chess and this is the number one ranked woman so there still exists a considerable gap in chess even today and we still have to consider why is that taking place there still exists a lot of discrimination and negative perceptions around women playing in chess and have existed within the sport for some time several of these players who knew the sport just as well as anybody else are quoted saying how women are genetically inferior how they're not wired for the game even some saying that they shouldn't be playing it at all even when we look at eva rakova who heads the commission for women's chess did an article about how she said chess is natural for men in the same way picking flowers is natural for women she goes on in this article talking about how boys admiration for cars and girls admiration for dolls is instinctual is inherent and this is the individual who heads the commission for women's chess right and so we really have to think about how our thoughts about men and women and how much that infiltrates our thoughts about everything else that exists this is a board game and we have people who believe that women are genetically inferior to play a board game I think some of the things that contribute to there being so much disparity is not as many women who are playing chess, um, chess not even being as encouraged for the women who are, and even these preconceived notions about how women are going to show up when playing chess, I think impacts what happens across the board. So there was a show called Queen's Gambit that came out in 2020, and the point of the show was following this uh, woman who was playing chess. She was a, a fictional individual, but it was following her rise throughout the chess world, being a prodigy and dealing with addiction and family issues and the way she navigated her life while also being in this sport, trying to accomplish as much as possible. There's a website called chess.com, which is one of the largest websites with chess players being on there. And they say there are millions of people who signed up for the game around the time that this show was so popular and they had the largest influx of women signing up on chess.com as well so this was a hugely influential show following this individual and made so many people think i want to play chess and had a lot of women seeing themselves in the character in the ways they also wanted to participate in this still male-dominated sport while the show was about a fictional person named beth Horman, the show mirrored in a lot of ways the actual chess prodigy, Judith Polga. 
Judith Polga came from a family of chess players. Her sisters also played chess and were extremely successful. They were taught chess by their father who didn't believe in the inferiority of women in playing chess. And she accomplished a lot of things no one else accomplished. She is the youngest person to ever be a grandmaster at the age of 15, the youngest person uh, to ever break into the top 100 of chess players at the age of 12. She is the only woman to ever be ranked top 10 in chess players in the world, the only woman to ever be a currently number one ranked chess player, and she also beat 11 former number one ranked chess players. And what I found extremely interesting is she's also considered the greatest woman to ever play chess and has never participated in a woman's chess tournament. So she has zero women's world chess championships under her belt. And she's quoted saying how she feels like women participating in women's only chess tournaments impacts how well they play. I believe when you are aware of the perceptions around your own inferiority, that it only hurts how well you show up. And so... When you have an individual who can be ranked number one in the world in one space and ranked 123rd in another, how does that make you feel even when you won something when you're kind of aware of a gap between someone else who won in the same arena? There's something called stereotype bias. And essentially what it is is that when you are aware of the stereotypes against you and you know how much or really how little is expected of you it makes you more likely to show up in that inferior version of yourself so there was a study done trying to understand why the gap existed between women and men in chess they did these games where the players did not know each other's gender. All they knew was they were similar rating and they were showing up to play chess. And when they did these games, people played true to their rating. The games were pretty even. They did another test and women knew they were playing men, men knew they were playing women. And when this happened, the women performed worse. Just through the awareness of who they were playing and the expectations around their play, knowing how all these people believe women are worse at chess. And it's not even like the men just showed up so much better. It was the women aware of the perceptions around their own inferiority, the pressure of having to play outside of that actually made them show up worse on the board. But when it wasn't known, they showed up as themselves, right? And it makes me think to how many times in our own lives, when we know someone sees us as less, when we know less is expected of us, when we know people are already coming in the room judging us on who they think we are and who we think we should be, how sometimes that make us not show up as ourselves just because we know somebody sees us as less. And we start to play into that idea of our own inferiority, even in the midst of trying to fight against it. Because even if we show up as our best selves, how much are we discredited? How much is it seen as a fluke, as a joke, as not real, as I wasn't even trying anyway? But if we don't show up as our best selves, mm -hmm, 
just what I thought. So it's almost no winning. Either you perform as yourself and you discredit it, you outperform so they make up some excuse, or you underperform and they rail into your own inferiority. And while everybody else only gets to represent themselves, you have to represent your entire identity in that moment. You don't just get to be a woman playing chess. You don't get to be just your name. Nah, you now represent every woman who ever played chess ever. You don't get to just be who you are. No, nah, you now got to represent every black person that ever did this thing ever. And your failure is now the failure of your entire people. And how much does that type of expectation impact how you show up? Even in family spaces, when you know how other people thinking of you. Yeah, do the thing. Be the person. I found this article uh, trying to understand women's intuition. And um, it was based off this Facebook post being like, what is it? You know, how does it show up? What is it really? And um, there's this website called The Cut. And they were breaking down, you know, what is women's intuition? How have people studied it? How have people seek to define it? And you can find articles out there that, you know, claim this is the scientific evidence behind women's intuition. This particular article by The Cut referenced this study that was done trying to understand empathy across gender. And they did this study and whenever women were reminded of how they were more intuitive and empathetic, they showed up as more intuitive and empathetic. And the same thing for the men, when they were reminded how they're not as intuitive and as empathetic, they showed up not as much. But they did other tests where no one was given this reminder. No one was told about women's intuition or how they're more apathetic. None of those things happened. And they were told they would be paid for their performance, right? So there was an incentive to do their best. And when this happened, we didn't see those differences in gender. No one showed up more empathetic. And it's interesting because it goes back to how much of how we're told we're supposed to show up impacts how we show up but let society tell it let the media tell it it's inherent it's biological you're wired towards it well if you're told something some since the moment you came out the womb it's reinforced every day of your life this is the color for you this is the toy you're supposed to play with this is the thing you're supposed to do this is the dollhouse this is the car i'm sure it do seem like it's wired or is it really just a society conditioning you towards something from the day you were born. Through the TV you watch, through the books you read, through the music you listen to, through the cultural norms, through the celebrations. Like, it is everywhere. And I think a lot of what we just call as, that's just genetics, that's just the way it is, is really, that's just the way you was taught. And that's what I found most interesting about this stereotype bias in this article about women's intuition, because... These are things most people wouldn't question. This is just, this is on the inside. And it's like, what happens when you grow up in a family and you're made responsible for other people's feelings and emotions all the time? When you're chastised for not being more aware? You probably get more aware. Despite what I believe is, is evidence against it, because of people's beliefs around 
sex and gender and biology. There's people out there who believe that trans women have a genetic superior advantage in the game of chess against cis women. And because of that, they got to be like, oh, we got to figure out what we got to do about this. We can't just let people play chess. <laughs> chess. We got to figure it out, right? So this article came out, Associated Press, and mostly what it talks about is how they want to ban transgender women and have this ban until they figure out how they want to proceed about allowing trans people to play in different chess tournaments. And they want to stop trans women from participating in just every place they want to participate in. But they also want to strip away trans man titles if they previously won any titles from women's only chess tournaments. So when we see a lot of these bans and a lot of these regulations and these conversations around trans people, there's people out there that try to make it seem like, oh, no, I'm not being transphobic. It's just about fairness. It's just about protecting these people over here. It's just about, nah, cats got actual genuine problems with trans people. And if a ban over chess don't make that apparent. In 2021, Minnesota uh, was working on this bill against students and trans athletes participating in, in different sports. And what was extremely aggressive about this bill is that they wanted to imprison minors for the sports that they participated in. Wanted to increase the role juvenile detention centers played in sports regulation, which is wild to me. This isn't the first time we've seen this conversation, right? There's a track and field star named uh, Castor Semenya, and she was doing her thing, running on the Olympics, winning, and that's when the Olympic organization, the governing body, decided to demand she took a sex verification test. And it was definitely discriminatory, right? She she fought it in court, right? She won, you know, her saying that what they did wasn't right, but it, it forever impacted her career. And when they decided that she classified as a woman in the way that the Olympics decided to define it, they still said, well, she got too much testosterone though. And that in order to continue to race, she would have to take medicine that decreased her testosterone. And it's wild. It's wild. And this is, is the only time that something like this happened. There was another track and field star, right, um, named Francine Yasaba, who also was doing her thing, winning the races. And you had these other, other white track stars like, mm, I don't know. I don't know about her, right? And same thing happened. They started to question her, wanted her to do the, the different tests and all these things, wanted her to, to do something to decrease her testosterone, saying that these track and field starts had an unfair advantage. And it's wild. Because that's like the whole point of sports. Trying to become your best, 
so you can have an advantage against everyone else. And the people who are physically gifted are the ones we expect to be most successful. We look at the history of these laws and they have a lot more to do with just policing bodies than it does with fairness. Michael Phelps was praised for his advantages, his lung capacity, the length of his limbs, all these things they said a part of his body that made him genetically advantaged for swimming. But we have these two track stars who are being asked not to participate because of them. It's interesting, systems of oppression, in my opinion, tend to operate similarly in the way they try to discredit, disadvantage, and harm whoever the targets of the oppression is. And also the way these systems of oppression tend to are intentionally pit people against each other, right? Let's take all these people who we want to disadvantage and let's tell them you can get closer to me if you fight against each other. <laughs> it's wild. Like even when we think about the, the white folk who are indentured servants, right? who didn't have access to the same power, didn't have access to the laws. Like rich white men were the one who had all the laws. You had all these poor white folk, you had these white folk indentured servants helping and assisting with the system of slavery and racism just so they wouldn't be at the bottom. Helping these rich white men that wasn't never gonna really let them get a piece of the pie. As long as I ain't, as long as I ain't black though as opposed to finding ways to fight so they could also secure their freedom. And you got your John Brown, you got your few examples, but as a whole, we got people always trying to put somebody else down so they just ain't the one drowning at the bottom instead of figuring out how to all work together, right? Elizabeth Cady Stanton, right? She was titled, you know, as, as leading this feminist movement who really she just stole the work of a bunch of black women who was doing the work before her and then said, I'm the one doing it. And when it came time to like try to get access to voting, try to get access to more power, you had these rich white men that was like, ooh, okay, 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 we dealing with abolitionists, we dealing with suffragists, we got all these things going on at the same time. Start going up to these white women, right? You see how these black folk talking? You gonna, you gonna let them get theirs before they get yours? Right? Elizabeth Cady Stanton jumped on that train heavy. Was like, I'll cut off my right arm before I let a black man get a vote before me. That's what she said. Okay, what about black women? Forget them, huh? No, it's white women versus versus black men. That's it. Dave Chappelle with his whole crusade. Man, all these white queer folk wanna wop, bop, dot. Like black queer folk don't exist? You acting like that's the fight between black folk and, and queer folk as if queer folk is white? And that's it? Come on now, y'all. It's black trans folk that exist. And so every time we indulge in one of these things and try to preach this oppression, thinking it's going to save us, and I've heard people use that rhetoric, I ain't going to let them get theirs before I get mine. What? What? It's, it's unfortunate. And I don't think it's an accident that people or resulting to this type of thinking. I think there are people who, who hold money, who hold access, who hold power, who want the people to bicker at the bottom on every level, right? 
Get mad at the cat not tipping you. Don't get mad because I don't pay you enough, though. Mm -mm. Don't bring that towards me. You can't do nothing to solve me. I ain't never going to change. At least you can solve that. Go fight them. You know what I'm saying? It's, it happens on every level. And I feel like that's why it's imperative in all aspects of our life to figure out who is really holding the cards. Who do I really need to be fighting against? And who do I really need to be in alignment against? And is it really somebody else who's also being persecuted and disadvantaged and mistreated? It's constant work, though, right? Like, like I said, I think we're taught these things, and it's and it's constant work. I don't think there's this destination of wokeness where you just know all the things and you say all the things right, and then boom, like deconditioning is an ongoing process. The work of trying to divest from the lies that we were told about ourselves and about other people. There is some hope, right? There are several countries who does not agree with the World Chess Federation stance on banning transgender people from, from participating in chess fully. Um, we've seen, even since Queen's Gambit came out as a show, how different countries have uh, worked to like increase women's participation in chess and the impact that's had on ratings and success, making sure that women exist in every chess club, making sure that there's representation and that there's encouragement and that there's mentors and all these things has impacted what we've seen, like I said, in terms of success and numbers, because a lot of this has to do with ideas around a thing, rather than it does your own inherent inferiority or superiority. Transphobia is not your ticket to liberation for anyone. State-sanctioned discrimination is the issue of all oppressed people, and I think learning to use our collective strength to fight back against colonial powers is how we mount a sustainable resistance against the harm that is being done to us and being done to others. And at the very least, if our fight is just to survive to another day, let us not help those who would disadvantage us, disadvantage others, and hope of reaching some fictional promised land they won't actually give us. My name is Ephraim Nehemiah. This is another episode of Nothing is Nothing because there's at least something going on with every single thing. And the more that we learn about it, the more we learn about ourselves and the world around us. Thank you legit so much for sticking with me through this episode and please stay tuned and check out more.